Well, we continue to look into revival by recapping a little bit of last week's show, and then we look at what the Bible and church history say about revival in this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Well, welcome to the show that loves doubters here on Christianity Still Makes Sense. We are looking at the questions that can sometimes deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate, now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, Bobby, there has been this large revival going on at Asbury. We talked a little bit about that last week, so we're going to dive in. Let's remind our listeners again what revival is and what revival is not. And I also think the distinction was helpful on last Last week's program between revival and awakening. By means of recap, share that again with us. Sure, bud. Let me begin with that distinction. <clears throat> awakening refers to regeneration, whereas revival refers to restoration. So the former has to do with conversion, while the latter has to do with consecration. When we speak of revivals and awakenings, we are referring to something happening to the masses. Hmm. Now each tend to play off each other. For example, when the church gets revived, the world becomes awakened. And when the world is awakened, the church gets occupied. Revival has to do with Christians coming alive again. And awakening has to do with the lost coming alive for the first time. Now, let me define the term revival. It's not an overly precise definition, but a stab at clarity. I define revival as a movement of the Holy Spirit in the heart of believers, which convicts them of their sin to such a point that they sense how far they've drifted from God's word, confess their sins to him, repent of their ways, and as a result, find a renewed joy in being a Christian and are unashamed to stand for Christ and tell others about him. As to what revival is not, Tim, first, revival is not a formula we produce, which ensures revival. Second, it is not an event that we throw. Third, it is not a feel-good time absent of brokenness, confession, and repentance. And finally, revival is not indifferent to biblical doctrine. And that's important because anything claiming to be revival that ignores doctrine, such as the holiness of God, the sinfulness of humanity, or biblical repentance is not revival. It might be a movement, but it's not God's doing. Well, I, and I think that's a great distinction to you kind of specifically lay out those pieces, but let, let's consider what the scriptures have to say. So what does the Bible have to say specifically about revival? The Bible has a lot to say, Tim, about revival, uh, but perhaps maybe one more distinction I can make before taking us to some passages. And the distinction is between revival and reform. Mm. So I just distinguished between what a revival is and what an awakening is. But now let's kind of parse our words out a little bit more and distinguish between a revival and reform. All revivals, uh, I would say, entail reform. Okay. But not all reform entails revival. The Protestant Reformation was a reform movement, but it's not considered a revival movement in the way that others were throughout the past. Though there were certainly some revival aspects to it, the Reformation's larger emphasis, emphasis in the 16th century 
was on doctrinally reforming the church. So too, in the Bible, you had reformers, but they certainly sought to bring about revival, though sometimes revival didn't always come along with it. Um, these reformers are people like Moses and Samuel, Elijah, Asa, David. Uh, you think about Moses, for example, uh, and when he comes down with the Ten Commandments and breaks them up, and he's like, what is going on, right? And then, uh, you know, he brings about, you know, a challenge to the community to, to get their act together. Uh, you think about David coming in to Jerusalem with the ark, and he's coming in, and he, he's revived. I mean, he's dancing before the Lord, but his wife, she loathes him for uh, losing his dignity. She's kind of the, the professional religious person. And David says, I'll become even more undignified than this. Um, Hezekiah, uh, he had all sorts of reforms going on during his kingship. Uh, Josiah, you know, becomes uh, king at eight years of age and then brings about reformation, right? Tearing down the high places. Uh, Asa is another king. Uh, who set about bringing great reform. But unfortunately, Asa, uh, you know, lost his way uh, in, at the end of his life. And one of the things that you see about these kings, Tim, is um, some of them, um, you know, they bring reform about and then they lose their way. Others are totally debauched like a Manasseh, but then repents at the end of his life or an mm -hmm. Ahab repents at the end of his life. So you go, man, Ahab and Manasseh, uh, offering repentance at the end of their life, but then Asa lives a life of just total reformation, and then he loses his way. Um, you have somebody like a Samson who could never figure his life out, uh, you know, but then he figures it out at the end. Um, other reformers would be people like Nehemiah, who was the governor uh, in Persia, or Ezra, the, the scribe, the priest. Uh, and you, when you read those two books, you can see how uh, they work together to bring about reform uh, during the Second Temple era after they uh, left uh, a season of captivity because Cyrus, you know, gave the freedom to let people to go back. And so pretty cool stuff. Uh, there was Jonah, uh, but I put his story kind of in the awakening category versus revival. Um, he wasn't revived himself. And if he was, it was short lived long enough to escape the fish. But the culture of Nineveh, uh, when they repented, they weren't turning to Judaism uh, like to create, uh, you know, a Jewish culture, so to speak. Mm. Uh, but they were repentant and there was an awakening of sorts that transpired. Uh, but then if you read the book of Nahum, you realize, well, it was pretty short lived because Nineveh then would go on to be destroyed. Uh, but let me point out a few verses from each testament, uh, the old and the new, three from the old and two from the new, uh, just to give a sampling of kind of, you know, revival uh, and challenge in Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So there's a word of encouragement. Obviously, that's for Israel, uh, that their land would be healed and that land promise isn't going to be necessarily applicable to us in the same way, mm -hmm. but the hope of repentance with God's response is there for us. Uh, Psalm 85, six, will you not revive us again that 
your people may rejoice in you. Uh, Tim, you know, I taught through this this past weekend at Image Church. And Psalm 85 is a wonderful little peek at revival uh, where you get three looks, a look back, a look within, uh, and a look ahead, or a look back, a look at now, and a look to the future, right? And, and you can kind of see that flow and how important it is that we remember God's workings in the past. And then we see in the book of Isaiah, uh, 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Ah, there we learn his name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And then you come into the New Testament and we see uh, the offer of repentance being challenged in Acts chapter 3. In verses 19 and 20, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repentance brings refreshing. And then the last verse I point out, Tim, is James, the half-brother of Jesus in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Well, in just a second, I want you to, to distinguish maybe a little bit about revival in the Old Testament and the New Testament, specifically referring to some of those verses. But before we get there, I want to remind our audience that this is a listener-supported show, and one of the easiest ways that you can support the show is to subscribe to our YouTube channel. So if you're checking this out on our audio-only podcast or you're listening on K-Wave Radio, we would love for you to head on over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can like this video, give it a little thumbs up, and you can share this out with your network. If you want to join our financial support team, you can also do that at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and click on Donate. We value your support in either one or both of those ways. So let's get back into this conversation about revival. Uh, how would you distinguish revival in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? That's a good question, Tim. And a distinction can certainly be made. For example, under a theocracy or a monarchy mm -hmm. uh, in the Old Testament, it looked different as everyone was to participate in the worship of Yahweh. But that's not the case in the Greco-Roman world, which gave birth to the gospel. The gospel traveled after Pentecost to various regions, each that had their own governmental constitutions. That said, during the Old Testament, revival was about reforming as a culture under Yahwehism or Judaism's hmm. reigning king. But in the New Testament, it's more about the church, and it's about the church living in line with the gospel under different cultural settings where they would take the gospel. Okay, so what has revival looked like throughout the history of the church? Can you share any examples from church history? Yes, uh, the fires of revival have acted up at other times more than others. Uh, sometimes it's acted up with a small group of people. It's been uh, broader at other times. Uh, but God has graciously shown up at different times throughout the church and in various places and regions. I'm thinking of spots like Eastern Africa, parts of India, China, uh, like the Shantung Revival, Latin America, and certainly North America, have all been privy uh, to certain times or seasons of revival. 
But some of the more famous ones uh, that people hear about are the first and great awakenings. Uh, remember, um, I said that there's a difference between awakenings and revivals. So the first and great awakenings. Uh, was there revival aspects to it? There was indeed, certainly under the ministry of John Wesley. So during the first great awakening, you would have somebody like a, a Whitfield, George Whitfield, and he would go out to the public squares and he would preach to the masses. Uh, John Wesley was very much a systematized thinker. And so he's kind of the founder of the Methodist church. And so he would organize people right into these groups. And so it had this church aspect as well. So uh, it was primarily considered awakening due to the mass amounts of people uh, getting born again and saved, uh, you know, under evangelistic preaching. But thankfully you had organization of these people where they were uh, filled into churches. Um, you ha have the Azusa Street Revival that took place in the early 20th century. Uh, the Toronto Blessings talked about. Um, the Azusa Street and Toronto Blessing, the Toronto Blessing more so are disputed uh, due to some of the extravagancies that took place. But that's worth mentioning, Tim, that um, even Jonathan Edwards during the First Great Awakening saw these extravagances taking place. He didn't really know what to do with that at first. Uh, and I think that he just realized that anytime that God's at work, there's going to be things that we can't put in a box. That doesn't mean that Satan doesn't get into the mix of it and there's some confusion. Uh, but anytime you see an authentic movement of God, you're also going to see some things where Satan's at work too. You can't discredit it because of some of this stuff. Uh, there was a businessman, Tim, by the name of Jeremiah Lampfear, and he was used mightily by God. Uh, in the Fulton Street Revival, 1857 and 58, where he just called businessmen together to start praying. And God did great things. The Jesus Movement. People need to get out and see the movie, The Jesus Revolution. They can learn about this uh, movement that took place in the 60s and 70s in Southern California and spread throughout the country. But let me tell you about one of my favorite ones that took place in Wales, Tim, in 1904. Um, during 1904, Evans Roberts uh he had prayer times with God and God revealed to this young man that he was going to send a revival to, re to Wales where a hundred thousand believers would turn to Christ. And he was pumped about this idea. And he kept talking to his pastor about giving him an opportunity. Finally, his pastor said, go for it. You can preach at the next Wednesday night service. If anyone wants to listen, they can. Well, 17 people showed up and he had a four point message, confess every sin to God, remove every doubtful habit, obey the Holy Spirit's prompting, and go public with your witness for Christ. And after that little message, these people began to experience the same passion. They were burning with the heart to see a movement of God. The next night, more people came out to hear the young preacher. The fires began to spread. Over the next 30 days, 37,000 people would come forward to receive Christ as Savior. Wow. Within five months, 100,000 people throughout Wales uh, were saved. And Evan's vision became a re reality. In fact, some of the news reports started saying stuff like this. One report said, a wonderful revival sweeping over Wales. The whole country from the city to the mines underground is aflame with gospel glory. The Methodist recorder reported, Wales in the throes of ecstasy of one of the most remarkable revivals ever known. It is nothing less than a moral revolution. Uh, listen to how it changed even kind of the moral uh aspect in the atmosphere, the culture, the Welsh, Welsh newspaper uh, 
they began uh, to print lists of names of people being saved. Colleges were closed while students marched singing to God, heading to prayer meetings. The entire moral tone of the communities was getting cleaned up. In fact, it was said that wherever Evan Roberts went, um, the hearts were set aflame with the love of God. And this spread all over the world as they tracked it, as it hit Africa, India, China, and Korea, and eventually the USA. Wow. In Atlantic City, New Jersey, in a population of 60,000, it was said that not, not even 50 people refused to come to Jesus. In Burlington, Iowa, every store and factory closed so employees could attend prayer meetings. In Denver, the mayor declared a day of prayer in 12,000 packed downtown theaters and halls. In Portland, 240 stores signed an agreement to close from 11 in the morning until two in the afternoon to encourage their employees to seek God. Try that on your boss tomorrow. And then in Los Angeles, you had 200,000 gathered for open air meetings. And so historians estimate that 20 million people came to Christ while this revival that started in Wales penetrated America. All of this, some have traced back to the hearts to the simple heart of the coal miner, Evan Roberts. It, it's just funny, before we get to our next question, uh, that, that whole idea of Evan Roberts, I'm just thinking as a church leader, right? So somebody like Evan Roberts comes to you and I and says, hey, I want to do this. And we would probably do our best to try to give them the opportunity to make this happen. But wow, to then sit back as a church leader and be like, holy cow, the Lord is moving here. It's just <laughs> pretty amazing. But but you got to experience some of this in Bible college. And, and I might add, many years ago in Bible college, you were part of a revival. So tell us a little bit about that and what was was the CBC revival. Yeah, you, you bet, Tim. Uh, I'm finding myself saying, did I say Robert Evans the first time and then Evan Roberts the second two times? I'm not sure, but Evan Roberts okay. is, is the guy. Yeah, it yeah. is. If, if I butchered it, my bad. Uh, yeah. Call that a moment of dyslexia or something. <laughs> yeah, I did, Tim. Uh, it was incredible. When I was about 25, I felt God stirring my heart to uh, do a 40-day fast. And I went on a fast for 40 days. Uh, seeking the Lord and uh, asking him to do a mighty work. My wife gave me the blessing. I would pray uh, and, and, and study and get into the word for an hour in the morning, an hour at lunch and an hour at dinner. And on day 39, I really sensed that God was going to do something at Central Baptist College or I went to Bible college. You know, I went out to the Arkansas after I got saved in California where I grew up. And it was weird. I was in this dry city. There was a lot of legalism. And I just sensed, man, these people need a revival. And I was praying and asking God to work. And I really sensed that he was going to do something. So on day 39 of, uh, of the revival, I even told my wife, come to chapel day. I feel like God's going to move. I wrote it down in a journal. Uh, I um, went to chapel. And before we could even have like you know, anybody getting up to speak, we had just spontaneous people starting to confess sin and pray. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, prayer starts breaking out and classes were canceled. Uh, you know, people weren't going to class. Uh, this thing went on into the night. Uh, people uh, were worshiping and praying, standing at uh, the payphone to call family members to witness to them. Uh, it went through the night. The next day, uh, I, let, I had about 59 students that wanted to go with me to my, cause I was witnessing on campus all the time. And they went with me. We were singing hymns through the streets as we made our way over to a secular campus. 
And then I just said, all right, here's what I want you to do. Spread out and we'll meet up at this time. And then they just started sharing the gospel. We came back together, went back, started praying more. And man, on the, on the 40th night of this thing, it was just incredible. Um, I had to leave to go and break the fast because I was going to meet my wife. But I remember the professor talking about brokenness and the importance of that during revival. And he asked me to come up and pray for the student body. And when I stood up, I kid you not, it was like the spirit just swept over the entire congregation mm. and they just fell down. You could hear weeping and wailing. It was incredible, Tim. Um, I started praying. I went. I broke the fast, but there were different schools calling us to come out. We would show up and same types of spontaneous stuff happened. So it was really special to be a part of a time like that, Tim. Well, that, that's excellent. And, and again, to yeah. be uh, specific, we, we, we have a, one more question that I think is really helpful because it talks about the, the practicality of some of this. Now, you have mentioned before, and we've talked about it uh, even today, that Christians can't manufacture this. This is not something that's that right. we can be like, hey, we're, we're going to do whatever we can as as leaders to kind of manufacture this, as you just described with your story right there. But but what would you suggest that Christians can do to prepare ourselves for revival to, to, so that we can be yeah. prepped and ready? What, what should we do and how should we think about that? I think we can pray and fast and ask others to join us in this endeavor. We can become familiar with what the Bible has to say learn from church history. We can teach on it in the church, but we do need to know this. If God is going to do something, Tim, if he's going to do a new thing, it's going to be with the old gospel. Mm. As we hear about movements happening, we need to make sure the old gospel is front and center and not a version of it uh, and of not a version of it that's propping the movement up. It's got to be the old-fashioned gospel. We got to get back to God is holy. We are sinful. We are at odds with Him. We need to repent, confess our sins, turn to Him, and then those times of refreshings can come as we're renewed and walking in line with Him. Well, amen to that. I'd like you to share some final thoughts. Before you do, I do want to remind our audience that Bobby did preach through Psalm 85, kind of looking at some of these topics uh, in a little bit more depth on our Making Sense of Scripture. You can find a whole playlist of Making Sense of Scripture uh, on our YouTube channel as well. And those are great episodes where you're walking through the passage, you're kind of giving some more context, you're talking about revival, what it is and what it isn't, and hitting on some uh, similar themes as you did to today and last week, but you're adding kind of more, uh, you know, depth to it, a little bit of a different audience. So, Bobby, what are some final thoughts here as we wrap up today's program? Well, I just want to encourage people that it's amazing to see God move when he does. I remember when I left that night on the 40th night of the revival, I found myself thinking, will I ever see God move like that again? Mm. And honestly, I haven't. Um, There were some hard moments during that fast. I can remember um, though when I got on my knees to break the fast with my wife, I was just weeping with gratitude for what God had done. And I was weeping because I had to break the fast, uh, because I knew I was about to break up some sweet, deep intimacy with the Lord. That was incredible. I'd lost 30 pounds during this pursuit of God's heart, Tim. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it was a time that I'll never forget And uh, I would say if anybody wants to fast at length, don't do that without being sure you're you're called to that, without studying it. You don't break a fast lightly, by the way. I mean, I broke it on a little bit of lettuce and a a cracker. I mean, you have to break in slowly on this. Uh, But I do think um, my heart was to get hungry for God. I wanted to be more hungry for him than anything else. And that's what revival is. It, it, It is getting our appetites 
readjusted for God. And so maybe somebody out there knows I got to just fast Netflix or I got to fast something else in my life so I can restore that hunger in my heart for Jesus. Well, again, we've we've covered lots of topics. I love hearing some of your story and just this depth and the reminder. I mean, going through that list of other revivals was just was so cool. So I really um, appreciate you kind of going through that. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. If you've made it this far in our episode, boy, we'd really encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, even if you're listening on podcasts or on the radio. It's a great way to support us. And with that, we will meet you on the next episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show is sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.